Welcome to God on Tap. As always, I am Nagus Spalding, and I am joined in studio. And actually, I call my studio the Bluteo, because it's a huge blue shed. So welcome to the Bluteo, Ellie Troyer. Hey. <laughs> uh, Ellie is a good friend. Uh, some might even say more than a friend, a mentee, but I wouldn't say that, so we're not going to use that term. And um, uh, Ellie, give us just the... 10 second, 30 second intro to who you are. Yeah, absolutely. I, first and foremost, am a a daughter of the king, but I grew up in small town Oklahoma, went to Oklahoma State, go Pokes. (laughs) We don't talk about that ever. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, Graduated from Oklahoma State, moved to Dallas, worked for a church for two and a half years, and am just now starting my third school year at a... I know. Isn't that crazy? Mm -hmm. So at West Dallas Community School, it's a small private Christian school for kids in the, the West Dallas area. Wow. Okay. I would make a joke about how uh, it feels like you were just in third grade and then you three years in, but I'm not going to make that joke. Uh-huh. Uh, see what I did there? Um, okay. So yeah, Ellie is young. So Ellie, if you don't mind, how old are you? I'm 26. And that puts you in which generational camp? I'm a millennial. <laughs> Um, I guess somehow I qualify as a millennial. I'm like the oldest you can possibly get to still someone be a millennial. Yeah, you do. But I feel those like Generation X cynicism strings pulling me all yeah. the time. So I have that, a little bit of that. But um, millennials are these, is this generation. So if you're at home and you're like, I know millennials. I know they're the worst. But what are they? <laughs> uh, people born sometime between 1985, 2005 is typically mm-hmm. how we define it. Those numbers are, of course, anytime you're talking about sociology, you could put ish at the end of what you're mm-hmm. talking about because they're not well-defined boundaries, but around there. So you're looking at people in their mid-30s down into early 20s-ish, if I can do my math. Um, yeah, so that's what a millennial is. Uh, millennials are arguably the most studied generation ever. We are the biggest generation yeah. in America, which is really fun. So people watch out for us. You Love that. Like it. Yeah, so we're coming <laughs> for you. Um, of course, Gen Z is who's coming behind us. And uh, every generation loves the one below them because you get to dump on them. So if you yeah. think we're bad, <laughs> wait till you see these guys coming. Teaching um, them. Yeah. But but the truth is, is uh, millennials have been studied at length. And part of my role as a pastor uh, as a teacher, as a ministry leader, has been to study this generation because they part of studying millennials is understanding that they're leaving the church in rapid numbers. They view the church very differently than the generations before them. And ultimately, we all have to learn to get along. And yeah. so uh, I brought Ellie on because what I want to do is talk about really some positives about millennials and also talk about a little bit of the research that's come out and what Ellie is seeing as a... Uh, the representative of the millennial generation. Here I am. Yeah. Uh, maybe we should have a disclaimer that says, Ellie's views are her own. <laughs> they are only representative of her. Yes. Um, but I think I think Ellie has a good pulse on what her friends think, what they talk about, what they believe. And so yeah, um, sure. no person can speak on behalf of their own generation. So just keep that in mind. Uh, but <laughs> so pressure. we're just going to jump right in. I have three things I want to talk about with Ellie. And we're going to talk about those three things. And this will be a really fun Friday feature with Ellie Troyer. So here's the thing about millennials that I actually love, and I don't think they get enough credit for. Um, When you look at millennials, overwhelmingly, they're the most ethnically diverse generation in America. So something like 11% of millennials have an immigrant parent. 
Um, and then when you look at the way that millennials spend their money, they love to pay for organizations that give back, right? So yes. if you think about when Tom's first came out, how many pairs of Tom's have you purchased in your oh life? Oh my gosh. I Well, <laughs> that's probably not the right question for me because I have a part of me that loves to stand out. So whenever the whole that. crowd is like, we're buying Tom's, we're buying Warby Parker's, we're buying all of these things, I'm like, nope. <laughs> so so and, yeah, that honestly does identify well with my generation. I uh didn't buy many toms but and by many i mean none i have no pairs of toms um but there have been like smaller scale things along the way where it's like oh if i buy this then it gives back to these women in need if i buy this then i'm supplying a subscription for a family who can't afford it so i love it Tom's no, same idea, yes. Exactly, (laughs) in in the most millennial way ever. I love this model, but not you, Tom. It's not personal. It is. It's me. It's not you. But it's kind of you. (laughs) Uh, No, I love that. And I think, so I own two pairs of Warby Parker glasses. Part Mm -hmm. of the reason why is they are really affordable. But Mm -hmm. part of the reason why is because if you guys aren't familiar with what we're talking about, Tom's, every pair you buy, they give back. They send a pair to, I believe it's Africa. Same for Warby Parker. You buy a pair, they give Mm -hmm. out a pair. That's one of the things that we're seeing. So part of the reason why people study millennials to such a great extent is economics. That's why yeah. these sociological categories even exist. It's not because we love navel-gazing and studying. <laughs> it's because rich people are like, how do we make people buy stuff? And yeah. since millennials are a huge market share of the economics we have figured out, you guys like to buy stuff that gives back. And mm-hmm. so that is indicative of what I think is a broader thing about millennials and that you guys really do. You guys, I keep saying you guys is so not. We. You whippers now. <laughs> Uh, have a thing for giving back but so let me ask you this because you are so you are you are what is good in the millennial generation i see that you you have a depth and maturity about you and yet you know you still embody some of these i'm not gonna definitely (laughs) so let me ask you this how does a girl from a small town in western oklahoma um that is barely on the map right correct uh grow up grew up in a predominantly homogenous environment is that fair to say absolutely yeah a uh, small church small mm-hmm. school small growing up went to oklahoma state which isn't exactly a you know burgeoning Stillwater is not a major metropolis right, right? um and neither is norman no hate <laughs> calling it what it is um how does a girl like you then come to value and express justice in your own life Yes, um, that is a great question. So I think from a young age, um, well, let me let me back up, was raised in a Christian household. I mean, when you say the Bible Belt, that I lived in the epitome of the Bible Belt. Um, yeah, you're like the pointy part that goes through the circle hood <laughs> yeah. in the belt. Yeah, like yeah we are together. tying it together. Yeah, it. That yeah. is That is where I'm from. And so not only was I living in the Bible Belt, um, the Lord was very gracious, and my story is um, encapsulated by believing families. Mm-hmm. And so not even just the, like, cultural Christian environment, but my my parents are believers, my grandparents on both sides, aunts and uncles on both sides, cousins, family. I mean, all I knew was um, Christianity, but not just, oh, we go to church on Sundays. There, there was a model of what it looks like to follow Jesus and why we're different and why we're set apart. And so um, I know that my story is not normal, but that was my normal. And so um, that being said, I came to know the Lord at a really young age. um, And I, I know that because 
I I can remember knowing the spirit was guiding me, was comforting me, was convicting me a lot because <laughs> well, I was, I, I mean, yeah. I, which is so funny because I, I was a goody two shoes in one sense and wanted to follow the rules. But on the other hand, everything was like, how far can I push this? How much can I get away with? And so, um, the spirit was very present. Mm-hmm. And so I remember in school, whenever I saw classmates who I didn't think were being treated fairly, probably stepping way outside my bounds and confronting the teacher and being like, no, this isn't fair. Like, just because this person learns differently doesn't mean he's a bad kid. Mm-hmm. Um, just because I am um, in a position where academics come easily to to me does not mean that I am better than this person or that person. Yeah, yeah, your disobedience isn't more egregious just because you're an A student. Right, right. And and you should not be expected to be disobedient just because you're not an A student. Um, And I honestly got away with a lot. (laughs) I got got away with so much. Oh my gosh. There are so many stories where I'm like, I should have gotten in so much trouble. But because... because of my academics and my family, I was usually just like given a stern talking to and been like, okay, go back to class. And so I saw it in my own life. Um, And then going to OSU, got to work in athletics and um, it, which was a whole new dynamic and um, environment where I was seeing justice. I was seeing injustice, it's always been something where I've recognized it, but I don't think until the last couple of years have I really been able to formulate or articulate an argument about it or a way to approach it. It was just kind of like, oh, well, the world is the way it is and God is just, but he's also merciful. And so I just didn't really have a handle on, okay, what can I do about justice mm-hmm. and how what I see and because of the way that I was raised and because of um, the environment where I grew up, there was a lot of, of blind spots to injustice in the world. Mm-hmm. And so I could see it in small ways in my environments, but the larger ways, um, if you've listened or I got to listen to the Amos podcasts, there's a, there's a larger understanding of what justice looks like yeah. in our world today. Yeah, I mean, I think that I love hearing the story because I think that sometimes the indictment that older generations bring against millennials is, I believe millennials are going to lead the way in this issue of justice, myself included. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a core value of mine. My first house I ever bought was on justice land. It was, I mean, it was. Like, I, I have, so appropriate. Yeah, the, and I kind of a similar way. Like, I, there was this innate sense of right and wrong. There was an innate desire for me to not have to be under the rules. <laughs> yeah. um, but also... Yeah, there, there is a sense of, hey, you don't bully. Hey, you don't mm-hmm. do these things. And then as I developed as a believer and began to dive into the scriptures, it's the scriptures that affirm my desire for justice. Absolutely. And I think the indictment that older generations bring against millennials is this whole idea of justice is just a social phenomenon. Right, if right. If we would take our Bible seriously, we would get back to evangelism or we would get back to raising children. We get back exactly. to fill in the blank. Exactly. Um, and neither you and I have children, so we're kind of looking at them going, what? Yeah, so what about me? Right, exactly. Yeah. And, what's, and what is a human human response to mm-hmm. suffering and injustice? And both you and I would say, gosh, we have a scriptural theological understanding of this. And so, uh, yeah, I think you're hitting the nail on the head of what I'm, I'm experiencing with millennials is that I think some just innately care. 
Absolutely. And it's because they're closer to the proximity of injustice than most people are. A lot of people mm-hmm. don't have even proximity to people right. groups who are experiencing this. But you work at a school, West Dallas Community School. Why, why don't you unpack sort of what you've seen in terms of that? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I would even say before I get into um, the school and what that looks like, um, I think so much of what I'm learning is that, like I mentioned earlier, I didn't even have a frame of reference of what injustice looked like in our world today. And so now being in a spot where it's coming to life, mm. it, that's where it's becoming weighty. That's where it's like, oh, all this quote unquote millennial drive in me to go change the world um, it's coming to life because yeah, I see it every day. Yeah, you have a way right. even to do something right. about absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And that's where so many of the conversations that I have with people from home or um, even in Dallas, it's like, hey, a lot of what I'm saying to you doesn't resonate. You don't mm-hmm. understand, not because your heart is necessarily hardened, but because you haven't seen it in a in an environment that I have. And so it's been creating the conversation of, okay, I go to school August through May every year. Well, two and a half years. And I see kids who have experienced trauma, like large, large trauma, whether that's abuse or just socially um, things have been said to them or their family that, um, that are truly shocking yeah, I mean, let's and put a name on racism right? yes I mean, yes racism or racism and yes or, yeah. absolutely yeah. all the time um and then even little t trauma which i think everybody Traumas, experiences yeah, right, right. whether it's um moving or lack of stability or family or dysfunction just, you know a gunman goes to el paso with yes the, with the intent to harm a, a population group of hispanics and latinos yes. and that is a large portion of your students right yeah so there's this residual yeah over 50 percent well yeah mm-hmm. that that person aimed to harm people like yes me. yes yeah. yeah and so um Specifically, there was one instance in my first year of teaching, and it's not uncommon for lockdowns. We'll hear gunshots. That's pretty normal. But there was one case in particular where it was a little uh, more severe, mm-hmm. and I teach PE, and so we're in and out of the building sure. all the time. So everything was cleared. We were good to go, and we go outside, and one of my students is weeping, 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 weeping. And in my mind, I'm like, oh, good. We're all clear. It got taken care of. Like I'm not in danger anymore. And so now I can take my students outside. But because of what he had experienced in whatever his life looked like, his trauma was now um, playing into the way that he was functioning in his everyday. And so that's a lot of what I'm seeing is whatever injustice my kids have experienced it, it plays into their everyday. It plays into their behavior. It plays into their academic learning and understanding and retaining. And it plays into the way that for me as a coach, whether it's in the PE classroom or whether it's on the court um, during a game for athletics, they are responding mm. out of um, a way that they've either been learning how to survive or learning how to cope because of whatever they've experienced. Yeah. And so it it even goes beyond, and this is um, where I get to see, and it goes beyond just the injustice itself, but how... There's a call. How? Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's yeah. truly 
like my students and I'm, I don't want to ever um, make it sound like mine are the only ones who have experienced trauma. Mine are not. There is heartache and brokenness and trauma that is experienced across the board wherever you are. But for my kids, um, especially because of specific injustice, there is a response yeah. that I am seeing. Yeah. I mean, we're, it's interesting. The social sciences are catching up to, you know, specifically with your kids, West Dallas community school, primarily minority children, Mm -hmm. um, yes. And And we are seeing there are health effects because of racism, right? I mean, there's this this trauma. It costs people their, their health. It costs Mm -hmm. people their livelihood, the maternal, um, mortality rate and having a baby as a black woman Mm -hmm. and the infant mortality rate is much higher. And it can only be accounted for through racism, not not socioeconomic class, not right. any of these things, not access to healthcare, mm-hmm. but because this the trauma is real and right. it's experienced at greater degrees for certain groups of people. So, mm-hmm. um, am I concerned for every child in America? Yes. Right. Are there systems of injustice so that seem to be oppressing people disproportionately? Yes. Absolutely. And I think you as a millennial and you as someone who's positioning yourself to be in those places to see and care you're able to take that message and, mm-hmm. and take it back to Western Oklahoma, take yeah. it back to fill in the blank, right. Oma, you know, <laughs> and, and to have those conversations yeah. um, from a biblical model, right? Yes, Not just absolutely. be like, hey, I'm, I've been reading, you know, these, you know, rally folks and mm-hmm. I, I mean, I don't even know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Activists, thank you. <laughs> Terrible. Uh, now, certainly, we should read about activists. We should mm-hmm. read about all these things, but it's from a abiding understanding of justice and the yes. that is driving you. Yes. I love it. All right, let's switch gears. Okay. Barna came out with a study in 20, into 2018, 2019, somewhere in there. It was shocking. It was about evangelism. It looked at evangelism across all the generations. And the data point that was crazy that everybody jumped onto was 47% of millennials believe evangelizing of someone of a different faith is wrong. Wrong. 47%. Oh, my gosh. Likewise, uh, over 90% of millennials say they feel like uh, it would be the best thing in the world for somebody to become a believer. Over two-thirds, the highest of any generation, felt Mm -hmm. like they could evangelize competently. And over 90% feel like they're able, something about share their faith. I don't have Mm -hmm. all the data in for me, but... So that 47% was eerie, and maybe you're just like, "Mm, what does that mean? And so I think it left a lot of people to wonder, maybe this term evangelism is the problem. Like, Mm is this hang-up, this understanding? Because I think that I see millennials sharing their faith all the time. So I always want to get your perspective on that. What do you think, uh, in terms of, what do you see among your friends in the church? What do you see among the young people that you're spending time with? Are are you guys sharing your faith with other people, Mm -hmm. or is this... Or, or are you not? I'll just give yeah. that symbol and you run with questions. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what's really sweet is I I do get to be um, surrounded by people who are taking their faith seriously. And that is a gift. I love them a lot. Um, and they have helped me to love Jesus more. And so by saying that, it's been sweet to see how they all are sharing their faith, but it isn't cookie cutter. Mm-hmm. And so... I have one. Unpack that because that's my theory. And okay. I'm going to keep talking about it. So when you say cookie cutter, mm-hmm. are you saying no longer is it the Romans road? Hey, let me sit you down. Here's my one way I learned right. how to share the gospel. Right. One size fits all. So I think that there's a lot that plays into that. Um, a lot of my friends have been involved in college ministries and there are different college ministries that use different tactics. And um, for some, that is exactly what they need. The Lord has used those ministries, used those tactics, mm-hmm. similar to the Roman Road or the Bridge Illustration. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. And 
that's what the Lord uses to reveal himself. I've had other friends where they're like, hey, I'm already a Christian and it's hurtful that you like continue to show me this or continue (laughs) to tell me this. And like, I get it. I get it. And so, um, yeah. Saying that, Evangelize me one more time. Bro. Yeah, seriously, it's like I know Jesus, and so. So that being said, I I have watched the the bridge illustration, the Romans Road. I've watched those be tools in the right setting mm-hmm. under the right circumstance to be helpful in explaining. And so I think what's been really cool for me in watching my friends in. Uh, in my own walk the last four or five years is there were two and a half years where every day was an opportunity to sit down in, fr- in front of somebody who was coming to me Asking, about faith. Right, yeah, yeah, they were they were literally yeah. coming to me and I got to listen to their story. I got to hear about their understanding of the gospel. And then in response, it was like, hey, I am so thankful for your understanding and got to encourage in help plug them in. And then there were some times where it's like, I am so glad you're here. Can I like share something with you uh, from my understanding of scripture, from what I've learned from what the Lord has shown me? And then I get to, by the Holy Spirit, I think that's a big part too, by the Holy Spirit, walk through either like the basis of the gospel where, hey, we we are saved by Jesus alone. Mm-hmm. We are we are not saved by our works. This is not something that we can earn. Um, and honestly, in a lot of those moments, was just trusting the Spirit of like, hey, is this person going to respond more by me opening my Bible and showing them all these verses? Is this like, Lord, will this person respond more to me looking them in the eye and not stopping telling them how loved they mm-hmm. are by a yeah. God who isn't out to get them like and so I think that that's been a big thing is with with my experience is trusting the Lord in those circumstances and so I think that there was a time where my community joked about like oh I don't want to take an uber because I don't want to have to share my faith (laughs) and I have experiences where I have been able to share my faith with my uber driver and honestly the Lord was very present because (laughs) that was a young and dumb <laughs> situation. Yes. 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 And then there have been times where I'm like, nope, I'm going to sit in the back seat and yeah. keep my mouth shut. Yeah. That's and really, I, I think you're, sorry if I cut you. I no, think that's what you're hitting on is so much of what I'm seeing with young people is uh, there really is a belief that the spirit is alive and active. Absolutely. And part of our role in evangelism is the ability to really wait on the Lord mm-hmm. and read the room, so to speak. Yes. Like, gosh, like, you know, I've been talking to my waitress for the last 40 <laughs> minutes about the, you know, the faith. And now every other table she's serving is super ticked at her because yeah. she hasn't brought her, right. her Dr. Pepper back. Exactly. Listen, if I'm waiting on a Dr. Pepper, <laughs> yeah. yeah, watch out, everybody. Yeah. And so I think, yeah, I think you're hitting something that I think is so important that, hear me, if, if one of the most staggering things I've wanted to figure out is 51% of people have never heard the Great Commission in the church, right? Yeah, so that's shocking. So if you are unaware that part of the, um, part of being chosen by God and selected by him to be a part of his family and you mm-hmm. saying yes to the salvific work of Jesus is you are elected for the purpose of mission. Yes. So we partner with God to come and push back against evil forces in this world and share the good news, the gospel, which really began 
in the beginning with the Trinity, prior to right. creation, then there was a good world, and then bad news, right? I yes. think so many times even the old ways of sharing the gospel are like, okay, you're a sinner. Right, and right. Let's move from there. And I'm like, no, no, People no, are like, huh? Yeah, right. like, um, <laughs> what do you I, mean I'm a would sinner? Would you like to ask me for my name? Right. <laughs> Um, and so I think that's what I'm seeing is that those who are taking their faith seriously, mm-hmm. recognize their role in sharing the gospel, uh, ha- are relying less on one-size-fits-all tactics, yes. and they're really engaging in conversations and trusting that the speed of evangelism will always go at the speed of the Spirit. Yeah, yeah. and I would even add to that. So I talked a lot about my experience. Thinking through my friends, I have one friend where wherever she is wherever we are whether she's alone in a group whatever she if she starts a conversation it's hey do do you know who jesus is and sometimes we're like (laughs) but but she is so confident and the way that she is um being prompted is to ask those very very direct questions and more often than not she carries on a great conversation um i have another friend where she would never ever ever (laughs) be so direct but she loves people better than anyone that i've ever seen and so she develops the relationship she prays like it's it might not be this like street evangelism where she's like crying out, do you know who Jesus is? But I have watched lives change because of her steadfastness and her prayer and the way that she's loved on people in our lives. I love it. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, as, so I'm a theologian at heart, right? And so I'm not going to look at this and be like, Hey, I love sociology. I love data. I love all this, but ultimately I'm motivated by what the word of God says. Absolutely. So I do take seriously those passages in the Bible to talk about, but some people are just gifted with the gift of evangelism. Absolutely. And so that might be your first friend, right? Yeah. And just like, God's like, open your mouth. Mm-hmm. We're going to see heavens open. Things are going to work. And I'm like, great. And then I see other people, and I, I'm probably in that second camp, right? And for the longest time, I felt almost as if like, gosh, what's wrong with me? Like, I'm not able to get to that transactional moment right. in conversations. But what I'm learning about myself is, gosh, I can hang with people who have big questions about God. I yeah. can hang with people who say really awful things about God. And mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, so um, are we going to get coffee next week? Like, right. you know, and, and I right. think that's where as believers, um, we have to be willing to recognize our own gifts and we have to be willing yes. to recognize and the speed of the, the spirit in that. One of the things that that Barna research said is that they ask non-believers, mm-hmm. you know, what is your primary way that you would love to be approached about evangelism? And 50% said, I would like to have a conversation mm-hmm. with no judgment. And then they asked them, do you know of any Christians who can do this? <laughs> and I think it was like less than 26% or yeah. maybe even less than 13%. It was a really low number. Essentially, we just want people to listen to us, yeah. get in the Uber and listen, right? and then hop out of the Uber mm-hmm. and trust that God is using that instructively yes. to, to move in people's lives. And so, um, so here's what I'm saying. If you're at home, if you're not a millennial, if you're an older person listening to this and you're like, what is wrong with my children and my grandchildren? <laughs> and they just look different. Yeah. And then I'd say, hey, if you're a millennial and you've been in camps that have told you that it's all about these transactional conversations and you find yourself uh, pulling away from that methodology, I think mm-hmm. what I'd say is, one, the Great Commission is is ours. Yeah. The mission is so important to the heart of God. It's who God is. Uh, but how you do it and the pace at which you do it uh, is gonna is really going to be determined by the Spirit. Yeah. And I think I see Absolutely. that in young people. All right, you ready to move on? Last thing. Let's go. Okay. So in America, <laughs> go America. Uh, older people, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna try and say this as kindly as I can. 
because uh, I mean for it to, but it might sound like I'm not being kind because I think if you listen to the Amos podcast, you may know that I um, have very little regard for American politics. I don't know if that comes through. Um, <laughs> it does. Yeah. So there's this, <laughs> there's this concept in American culture called the moral majority. And historically, this has been more about a voting block and less about morality as seen in scripture. Now, is there overlap? Yes. Yes. But what I say there's large gaps missing from the moral majority's understanding of the full entire day scripture, I would say yes. Mm-hmm. What I'm seeing in millennials, though, is there's so much vitriol in American politics that we've been told our whole lives, hey, there's one pro-life issue, and that's yeah. abortion. So you know how to vote, and that was what we were left with. We're right. Like, Wait, what? We're only allowed to care about one issue? Right. And what I have consistently seen among millennials is a more... Mm, I want to be careful here because I see two strains. I don't want you to talk to both of them. Okay. <laughs> One strain is we are so repulsed by what we've seen in politics yes. that we've almost stopped caring about the abortion issue. The other strain is we're so repulsed by what we've seen in all of the politics, yeah. both sides, three sides, however many sides you want to say is American politics, that we are trying as best we can to develop a full and consistent pro-life ethic. That mm-hmm. would say from womb to tomb, all of yeah. life is important, and how we vote is to the best of our ability trying to maintain that ethic, and yes. it gets messy, yes. and we would all agree, there is no perfect candidate, and if we ever mm, met them, no we would beg them to leave politics, because it will only ruin them. <laughs> yeah. Um, sorry, friends, if you love politics, I'm just going <laughs> to tell you, I don't have the same uh, hope as some others do in mm-hmm. this. So here's my question to you. Yes. Um, given those two strains... Do you feel that tension? I mean, do you? Absolutely. Okay, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So I would say um, I keep quiet about politics. Mm -hmm. I, uh, number one. So let's put you on a podcast and broadcast. Yeah, yeah. Everybody listen to this. (laughs) Yeah, the last 12. Yeah. Yeah, whatever. Anyway. I'm from my class president. It was Sally Joseph. She was really great. No, I was class president. Yeah, okay. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Okay. So, um. I, I try to stay out of the conversation as much as possible because I definitely would say that I fall into the second mm. um, of the explanations that you just gave. So I'm going to start with that one first. There are so many things as I – it sounds weird to say as I'm becoming my own person, but as I am – yeah, I'm yeah. growing up. I'm learning things from my own perspective, um, and I'm trying to hear – like actually hear and understand other perspectives yeah. so that I can get a full view on the situation. That being said, there are so many things that yeah. I'm trying to get a full perspective of that I get really overwhelmed and sad. Yeah. Um, and I can be melancholy some. And so I don't like that. I don't like negative emotion. Um, and so I will get overwhelmed and just be like, I can't do it. I can't do it. I'll deal with it whenever I have to. And so um, I definitely fall into that second category um, for those reasons. And so I know that there are issues. I know um, what scripture has said and where I land, but then I get stuck because it feels like I'm losing mm-hmm. either way. Yeah, right. Nobody's happy with us. Right. Like, yeah. Right. I, I think that's it. In the 2016 election, I really felt homeless in, yes. in, in the church at large in, in the sense of like, Man, I, I am unapologetically pro-life. I'm, Absolutely. I'm anti-abortion. I'm not, I'm not even going to hide that. However, part of my pro-life understanding of things is 
I'm also pro-immigrant, and I'm pro-prison reform, mm-hmm. and I'm pro... But I'm also pro-security, and I'm pro... Right. Like, I, I love all life. Right, and I want to see right. the flourishing of all of it. And I'm looking at the two options, more or less, that were in front of me, and mm-hmm. I was scratching my head mm-hmm. trying to figure out, am I crazy, or does this yeah. seem like we are all, like playing this really dangerous game yeah yeah that is none of us are getting what we want it felt like yeah Yeah. absolutely and so um, I would definitely say that um, I I land in that second um, realm of I don't even know what to do because there are too many things in one party that I agree with and then some things that I really don't Mm -hmm. and then same for the other party and and then you get into the argument of like well a vote for uh, a third party is a vote for the one that you really don't want. And I'm just like, what? I, yeah, I, I know. And so I, I just get stuck, but then have watched friends who have fallen into the first uh, explanation where I'm like, Hey, I, I get why you're moving in this direction because that's where I'm feeling pulled as well. But that doesn't mean we can disregard um, specifically in this instance, the pro-life yeah. Um, yeah, conversation. Yeah, that as a pastor, I think I'm consistently having to do is deconstruct for folks morality and politics. Yes. That we, we as an American group historically have been able to tie faith to our voting decisions. Right. And it's been a little bit more clean cut historically Ish. Ish. <laughs> I'm just going to say maybe that. Honestly, it, I don't know that that was ever true, but it, it, that's what we were told right yes. for so long. And and we're are having this day of awakening where we're saying no, it's, it's not it's just not that simple. Yeah. And I think what we're having to learn is there's a moral and ethical way that God has asked us to live that is separate from our political system. Absolutely. And though churches and religious leaders have tried to blend them, I think what I'm asking of millennials is. Divorce yourself from the politics without divorcing yourself. And I don't mean don't be engaged. Listen, right. I think you should vote. I think you should be active. Yes. I think you should, you know, yeah. whatever. Stomp for your candidate. Whatever. I'm not, I'm not, I'm saying divorce yourself from believing that politics are embedded in a moralism. And yes. Instead, we should be kingdom people mm-hmm. who look to the king and say, what does the king value? Yes. And how can I, as best I can, enter into this space knowing that that's part of the fall, that whatever choice I make, of course there's going to be weaknesses to it. I'm aware right. of it. You don't need to scream at me. Right. Like I, I right. recognize the weaknesses in my own position. Right. I'm just trying to do the best that I can. Yeah. So here's, this is why I brought this up. So one, you know, talking about justice, evangelism, politics, we should probably talk about sex before this is over just so we make sure we hit like, every taboo. Why subject. not? Yeah. Um, no, we won't <laughs> today. We'll do that another time. But I'm bringing this up because I think, one, if anybody is listening to this and they're not a millennial and they're looking at millennials, I what I want to create for this Friday feature, the whole reason I'm talking about all these, Ellie, is I, I really want people to understand that there are some millennials who take their faith really seriously. Yeah. And I think several of you are out here listening to this podcast even. Mm-hmm. And you may have these feelings that we're discussing here that you haven't been able to put words to or articulate. And what I want to say is, is guys, there is there is a need for and um, a, a lack of really thoughtful millennial voices who are helping the generations above them think about these things in a more full conversation. Yes. Okay. And so, and I think that, Ellie, you're, you're entering in these spaces. And it's hard because mm-hmm. the reality is it's hard to vote for somebody your parents didn't vote for. I don't know if you mm-hmm. did or didn't. I'm mm-hmm. not. But, I, but it's hard to disagree with the people that have 
mentored you most yeah. of your life. It's hard to disagree with those who are very loudly telling you yeah. either what you should care about justice or how you should share your faith or who you should be voting for. Mm-hmm. And what I want to bring back into millennials' focus and into everybody who's listening to God on Tap is a theology that centers what we believe on the Trinity as expressed through the Word of God. And when we do that, then it gives us something to say with a solid foundation below us. Yes. And it's going to be messy. Yes. And it's going to be uncomfortable. And we're going to disagree with people. Mm-hmm. And in that beautiful mess, if we're all seeking to glorify God, I think something really beautiful and profound can come out of this generation. Yeah, absolutely. So if you're not a millennial, don't give up on them. <laughs> and if you are a millennial, don't throw the baby Jesus out with the bathwater of our culture. Clean yeah. to the Lord and all that is good. Taste and see what is good. And... Fight for the ability to care about the things that God cares about. And if you're not sure what those are, we just did Amos. (laughs) Uh, And Ellen, you want to tell the people what I think we're going to do next for the book of the Bible? Yes. uh, Nika is going to start with 1 John. Not to be confused with John or 2 John or 3 John (laughs) in the book of Revelation. No, just the first one. Love it. Well, Ellie, thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to come pop into the Bluteo. Thanks Um, for having me. Proud of you. I think you are a credit to your generation. Uh, and so folks out there, if nobody's told you that they love you, Ellie and I do, but way more importantly, the God of the generations loves you. Peace.